<clears throat> hey guys, Ed from Paranormal League Ohio here, coming at you again with another podcast episode. Um, I am going to try to do the podcast as the as they're supposed to on the days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. If you guys are on ParanormalLeagueOhio.com, you guys know that my wife is very, very sick and is in the hospital. Um, <clears throat> but I need to keep my mind busy. So I'm going to continue to work. And so I'm going to continue to do these podcasts. So if I don't sound like my normal perky self, uh, I apologize. There is just a lot going on right now. And it's kind of scary. So with that being said, we are going to do tonight's show on some history of werewolves. Yes, werewolves. And believe it or not, in the early, early years of existence, there was quite a lot of werewolf accusations. And we're going to talk about some of them. I'm going to give you five different stories of actual encounters with werewolves throughout history. Okay, here we go. Werewolf accusations were not entirely uncommon in Europe in the 16th and 17th centuries. Werewolf and witch hysteria sort of developed in tandem indeed. Some people were even accused of both. Such accusations and the subsequent confessions and executions were often politically expedient, but sometimes the fear was absolutely warranted. Whether the danger lurked clad in the fur of a wolf or the clothes of a man... A little bit of warning about these next stories. I'm going to give you guys some of these stories talk about a lot of crazy things. There's going to be talks of murder, mutilation, torture, incest, and animal cruelty. I do not condone or accept any of that. Uh, These are just stories that I have found, and I want to give you guys a little bit of a trigger warning beforehand. So, if you guys don't want to hear anything about that, now would be the time to shut it off and not listen to it. So the first story is going to be the Beast of Gavadon. In the 18th century, the former French province of Gavadon was terrorized by the so-called La Bete du Gavadon, the Beast of Gavadon. The beast was first spotted by a woman tending cattle in the forest near Lagadon. In June, her bulls scared it off, but not long after, it attacked and killed a 14-year-old girl. Over the ensuing months, sightings and attacks mounted. Those who had seen the beast described a large wolf with unusual red fur streaked with black, and it was prolific. According to a 1980 study, there were 210 attacks in all, 113 of them which were fatal. In 1765, King Louis decreed that the French state would help slay the beast. When the appointed professional wolf hunters, Jean-Charles Marc, Antoine Valmasset, de Enneville, and his son, Jean-Francois, failed to kill the beast, the king sent Lieutenant of the Hunt, Francis Francois Antoine, instead. Antoine slayed three giant gray wolves, yet the attack still continued. 
It wasn't until a local hunter named Jean Chastel shot a wolf in June 19, 1767, that the attacks were declared over. Nowadays, it is thought that the beast of Gavadon wasn't a single wolf at all, but many individual wolves. When France went in on a wolf-killing rampage, these wolves were slain one by one until none were left, and the attacks abated. Not that killer wolves were unusual at the time. According to historian Jean-Marc Marceau, I'm probably destroying all these names, and I apologize to anyone on here that is French. Some 7,600 people were killed by wolves in France between 1362 and 1918. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. So now we're going to move on to the Livinavon werewolf. Werewolf confessions could be quite peculiar. Take these of Cattlebron living in Swedish Livonia in the 17th century. Cesus was widely believed among his neighbors to be a werewolf who had dealings with the devil. Local authorities didn't much care, after all. Thies was in his 80s. What harm could he do with a few tall tales? But when they brought him in for questioning on an unrelated matter in 1691, he voluntarily began divulging details of his werewolf lifestyle. Although with many inconsistencies, according to his account, Thies had given up lycanthropy ten years prior to his appearance before the judge in 1691. Before that, he and other werewolves would change into wolves on St. Lucia's Day, Pentecost, and Midsummer Night by donning magical wolf pelts, although he later changed the story and said they just stripped naked and turned in the wolves. They would then maraud the countryside, killing farm animals and cooking and eating them. When asked how wolves cooked meat, he declared they were still human, not wolves. His story only grew stranger and stranger. He claimed that werewolves were the agents of God and would travel to hell to battle the devil and his witches, bringing back grain and livestock the witches had stolen. In fact, he said he had done so just one year earlier, contradicting his earlier claim of having renounced lycanthropy. When it was revealed that Thies was not a devout Lutheran and indeed practiced a form of folk magic involving charms and blessings, the judges ordered Thies flogged and excelled, or exiled. Sorry, I cannot read my own writing. Again, my head is all different places right now. What happened to the strange chap after that is unknown. So now we're going to move on to the Wolf of Ansbach. Now I want to tell you guys, I am probably destroying every one of these names. Um, I'm trying my hardest not to. So, again, I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody. In 1685, a wolf was terrorizing and killing humans in the town of Nasse, in the principality of Ansbach, in what is now Germany. This was not unusual, but the town's chief magistrate, Michael Leicht, had just died. He was a cruel and unpopular man, and it was said that the wolf visited Leicht's residence. So it was only a small leap for people to claim the wolf was liked or light 
I'm, again, I'm probably destroying this man's name, and I am of German heritage, and I intensely apologize. <laughs> Light returned as a werewolf for his sins. The wolf's death was not terribly eventful. The people or organized a hunt and chased the wolf into a well and killed it. What they did with its body is pretty macabre. Though they paraded it through the streets, then prepared it for display, they cut off its muzzle, dressed it in human clothes, and placed a wig on its head and a mask on its face so that it resembled light. They then hung the body from a gibbet so that everyone might enjoy the sight. After some time, the wolf was removed from the gibbet and its corpse preserved and put on permanent display at a local museum. Because that's not weird or creepy at all, right guys? So we're going to move on to the Werewolf of Alariz. Widely thought of as Spain's first ever serial killer, Manuel Blanco, Romain Santia, again, I probably destroyed that, I am very, very sorry, is unusual for a werewolf operating late in the mid-19th century. Actually, Roman Santa was an unusual case in a few ways. Born in 1809, he had been raised as a girl until about the age of six, at which point doctors discovered he was male. He grew up, married, and worked as a tailor. When his wife died in 1833, he took up the traveling salesman trade, also guiding travelers around Spain and Portugal. His first known murder was Vincetta Fernandez, the constable of Leon Fernandez was found dead in 1844 after attempting to collect a debt from Ramasanta. Rather than face the law, Ramasanta fled to Portugal. During this time, he murdered several people who had hired him as a guide. He was not a cunning man. Ramasanta was noticed selling their clothes, and rumors started to circulate that he was selling soap made of human fat. A complaint was lodged and Ramasanta was arrested. He confessed to 13 murders, but there, this is where it gets wolfish. He said he had been cursed with lycanthropy, but upon being asked to demonstrate his transformation abilities, Ramasanta declared that the curse had passed, and he was no longer afflicted. He was actually acquitted of four of the deaths those forensic examination found had been committed by real wolves. However, he was found guilty of the rest. A phrenological <clears throat> examination of Roman Santa by doctors determined that he had invented his curse, and he was sentenced to death. This was commuted to life imprisonment on the request of a French hypnotist who believed that Roman Santa was suffering a delusion and petitioned a stay of execution so that he might study the man. A 1863 newspaper reported that Rama Santa passed away that year in prison from stomach cancer. Now we are going to talk about the Werewolf of Bedburg. One of the most famous werewolf cases is Peter Stump, a wealthy farmer accused of being a serial murderer, cannibal, and werewolf of Rhineland in 1589. In the years preceding Stump's arrest, the, the country town of Bedburg had been plagued with horrors. It started with dead and mutilated cattle, but bodies of townsfolk were also soon found in the fields. 
Initially, it was thought that a wolf or wolves were attacking, but the creatures evaded capture. Finally, in 1589, a hunting party managed to corner the wolf with its hounds. When the humans approached, they saw, according to reports, not a wolf at all. Instead, the hounds had cornered Stump. The most damning piece of evidence was that Stump's left hand had been lopped off. The wolf had had its left forepaw cut off. Since wolf and man had the same injury, wolf and man must be one and the same. Stump confessed, but it's a questionable confession at best. He had been subjected to torture, including the rack. He said he'd made a pact with the devil himself when he was 12. He had been given a magic belt which allowed him to turn into a wolf. He confessed to killing 14 children and two pregnant women. He ate of their flesh and ravaged their bodies. He killed his own son and had a sexual relationship with his own daughter. He was sentenced to die in the most awful manner. He was fixed to a breaking wheel and had flesh torn from his body with red hot pinchers. His limbs were broken with the blunt side of an axe so he might not rise from the grave. Finally, he was beheaded. His head was placed on a pole with the figures of a breaking wheel and a wolf on it as a warning to others. His daughter and mistress were also flayed, strangled, and burned. It is not known whether the crimes were truly committed by Stump at the time. The region was deeply affected by the Cologne War. Stump was a Protestant convert, and the religion had been seized by the Catholics in 1857. His death was to the Catholics' advantage, as his considerable wealth would fall to them. In addition, Stump's death could have served as a strong warning to other Protestants. So guys, that was five individual stories of different types of werewolves throughout history. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Like I said, I had to keep my mind busy because my wife, Kendra, is very, very sick right now. And we're just hoping and we're praying so hard that she makes a full recovery. She's doing better She's resting today, and I just, I came home to be with our kids, and I had to keep my mind at ease, so I decided to work. I love doing this for you guys. Uh, I love each and every one of you guys as much as I love my family. So, thank you so much for listening and always being so supportive on here. And with that being said, I will do my regular spiel that you guys get to hear all the time. You can go to ParanormalInkOhio.com, which will take you to the main page. Uh, There you can look at some old ghost hunts, ghost stories. You can check out our crystals and the powers that they hold. Our sage bundles for all cleansing needs. Necklaces, bracelets, pins for the crystals. There you can go to Paranormal Ink Ohio group. as our group page on Facebook. We talk about all things paranormal. You guys give me ideas. I do the research. I make shows out of them. And sometimes I have you guys on there. And I give you guys shout outs. Every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, of course, is the podcast episodes at 10 p.m. on all podcast venues. Every Thursday night, we go live on Facebook and have a discussion about the anything paranormal, some ghost stories, and some previous ghost hunts. 
Friday nights is our Fear Friday Lives at 10 p.m. There I do some live investigations and we do in-depth discussions about the paranormal. Thank you all so very much. I love each and every one of you. Please keep my family in your thoughts and prayers. And I hope you guys have a great night. And I will have another episode up tomorrow at 10 p.m. Bye, everybody. Thank you.